So this is this is big. This is like really big. I think I've found our purpose. <laughs> I mean, like in life, N- not quite. Just, just podcasting. Okay. But but back in March, Hanson. You remember Hanson. I remember Hanson. Yeah. (laughs) They gave an interview to the culture blog Vulture in which they not only mentioned but also complained about small and probably inconsequential details of music. Well, those are two of our favorite things. What did they say? Uh, They said that people don't know how to sing mbop. Oh, this is very exciting. I thought so, too. So (laughs) you want to figure out what they're on about? Yeah, Yeah, let's do it. Hey, I'm Brian Barone. And I'm John Lago Marcino. You're listening to Tuner. Today's song is Mbop by Hanson. Uh, okay, so a quick refresher for anyone who's a little rusty on their mid-90s U.S. pop rock history. Hanson are three brothers from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who catapulted to stardom after their major label debut, Middle of Nowhere, was released in 1997. The brothers are Isaac, the eldest, whom you might remember as the long-haired guitar-playing one, Taylor, the long-haired conga and keyboard-playing lead singer on Mbop, and Zach, no K, the long-haired drumming brother who, as I've been reminded by taking a dive into lots of old Hanson videos, played left-handed drums. The brothers talked to Rebecca Miltsoff at Vulture because March marked Mbop's 20th anniversary, but not the anniversary of the version you probably remember. The story is that Hanson first released a version of the song on an independent album, also called Mbop, on March 17th, 1996, so that's the one that just turned 20. Then, once the group was signed to Mercury, the song was re-recorded a year later in a new high-gloss version for their debut album, Middle of Nowhere. Since we're so much more familiar with that second release, the original can feel a bit like a demo now. But Hanson explains in the Vulture interview that they completely meant it as a finished song at the time. Check it out. One major difference you'll notice is how much slower this original version is. And here's the 97 cut. The band also told Miltsoff that they haven't heard any good covers of Mbop ever. Right, because, quote, people can't sing the chorus right. Most of the time, they syncopate it wrong, end quote. Although, they do go on to say that Bruno Mars could do it well, which sounds like a really compelling idea to me. But before we get to the bottom of what Hanson's beef with their imitators is, let's check out another musical tidbit that they dropped in the interview. The fact that, unsurprisingly, they have to sing mbop in a lower key than they did when they were kids. As Isaac Hansen explains, mbop was written and recorded in the key of A major. But now, at 20 years older, the band plays the song in F sharp. Or sometimes even in F. (laughs) 
The upshot here is that making this change allows the highest notes in the song to be singable for adult male voices rather than just 11-year-old male voices. But why does this work? We've talked about the idea of key before. So remember that key is a way of organizing sound that caught on in Europe starting in, say, the 16 and 1700s. The basic ingredients of key are the 12 different pitches of the Western system. And two different scales, or patterns, called major and minor. You can take either of those two scales and apply it to any one of those 12 pitches, and will then say that you're in the key of whatever pitch you choose. Combine the name of that pitch with the name of the scale, either minor or major, and you've got the name of the key. So like D major, G sharp minor, whatever. The internal pattern of any major or minor key, you know, this thing. Doe, a deer, a female deer. That's the same in every major or minor key. The only difference between keys is what the particular notes are. In practical terms, and for the issue we're talking about here, changing a song from one key to another keeps all the important relationships of the song intact, except how absolutely high or low the notes are. So you can think of it like an apartment building that has the same layout on each floor. The distance between the windows is the same, the height of the ceilings on every floor is identical, all of that. Now from the inside, everything looks the same no matter which floor you're on, though each one is actually a different absolute height from the ground. So if the highest or lowest notes of a song are too high or too low for some reason, all a musician has to do is move everything into a new key until they're on the floor of the building where it's comfortable to play or sing. Because the patterns inside each key are identical, we're able to recognize familiar tunes even in unfamiliar keys. So here's an example. We took this pretty famous tune and digitally changed the key, leaving everything else the same. But those of us who knew it before should still recognize it now. And we picked a section without any words, so those can't give it away. This is what lets Hanson, or anyone else, change a song so that it's comfortable to sing without us hearing it as a totally new and different piece of music. Although there is a catch, or I guess a few. For one, people with what's called perfect pitch or absolute pitch are able to hear the differences between identical patterns performed in different keys. So they'll hear that something's changed. And even for the rest of us, changing keys can change the way a song feels if it dramatically affects how high or low the song is sung. Like, imagine if Michael Jackson sang Billie Jean with just moderately high instead of outrageously high notes. That example also points out that different keys cause instruments and singers to use different parts of their ranges, which usually have different musical colors. For a lot of people, these colors carry a ton of feeling, and changing them is a big deal. But consider that if Hansen has lowered the key of Mbop at the same time as their voices have gotten lower, it keeps the song sounding in the same high registers of their voices, and that maybe keeps some of the feel intact. So yeah, this gets complicated pretty quickly. And that's not even to mention that at certain times and places in history, particular keys were heard to have particular characteristics or moods. But what does this all mean for Umbop? Well, for us, the difference is pretty mild. But while on the one hand, Hansen are content to change the key of Mbop, 
They're evidently not so happy when people mess with what they call the syncopations of the song's chorus. So let's get our bearings here. We know that Mbop is played by Hansen in either A, F sharp, or F major. It's also in straightforward 4-4 time, so that's four beats in each measure, with a standard rock backbeat and an ever-so-slight 16th note shuffle. It's also a classic three-chord wonder, just A, D, and E major chords the whole time. The very same chords, actually, as my personal nomination for ultimate three-chord classic, the Trog's Wild Thing. But while Wild Thing goes A, D, E, back to D, the verse and bridge of Mbop reverse the order of the D and the E chords. A, E, D, E. It's kind of amazing how different that subtle swap makes the two chord progressions feel. And it's a good demonstration of how US and UK pop, especially, have rung so much music out of so few chords. Then, in the chorus, Hansen switches up the progression. A, D, A, E. So, we're dealing with a pretty straightforward pop-rock setup here. Within it, let's see if we can figure out what Hansen means exactly when they talk about the syncopation of the chorus. That word's usually used to point to something going on in the rhythm or the time of a song. That's kind of accidentally poetic here, since if you listen closely to the lyrics in the bridge, you'll find out that the mysterious mbop of the chorus is actually a unit of time. <laughs> Don't worry, Tudor will be over in an mbop. <laughs> So an exact definition of the word syncopation is a little tricky to give, and the concept is actually debated quite a bit. But generally we can say that it refers to situations where instead of musical events happening on the beat, they shift to a position off the beat, bringing the accent that usually goes on the beat with them. The intro to Mbop is a perfect example. The syncopation is that little hiccup or anticipation, that spot where you can feel something jump the gun. Compare that with the intro played without any syncopation. And here's the syncopated version again, just for comparison. As Hanson promised, the vocal line in the chorus is just full of syncopation. While the words, or whatever they are, mbop and doobop, while those always happen simply on the beat, everything else has some syncopated funkiness going on. If you've ever tried to rock this song at karaoke, I, I'm not saying I have, but if you were to, you'd know that there's some complicated rhythmic stuff in there. And it seems like these intricacies are what Hansen means when they say no one syncopates the chorus correctly in covers. In researching this episode, I took a pretty serious dive into all the covers I could find. And it's true, almost no two people sing it the same way. And pretty much nobody does it exactly like Hansen. But here's the funny part. Even Hansen doesn't do it like Hansen. Not only are the 97 and 96 versions slightly different from one another, but we even found some live versions from the late 90s that were different yet again. Okay, so here we go. 
Mbob's chorus is made up of two four-measure phrases. The syncopated stuff happens in the second half of measures one, two, and three. Measure four is the yeah, yeah business, which we're not going to worry about here. So this is measure one, and two, three, and four. In the 1996 original, measures one, two, and three of both phrases all use the same rhythmic pattern. Brian will play along, doubling the rhythm of the vocal melody, just to emphasize it a little. Measure one, two, three, four. By 1997, measures one and three had dropped a few notes. So measure two sounds the same as the pattern we just heard, but one and three are a little sparser. Measure one. By the 1998 Grammy Awards, things had changed even more. On the one hand, we're back to all three measures having the same rhythm. Except now it's this one, which I guess is technically slightly less syncopated than any of the other versions. And, in the second phrase, they've thrown in a bonus surprise syncopation halfway through. It's actually very cool. Here's the whole two phrases. All right, so not to give Hanson a hard time, but clearly there's not exactly a wrong or right way to sing the chorus to Mbop. Because, frankly, all of their own versions are pretty different. And for me, anyway, they each have their own different rhythmic charm. So if it's two in the morning and you're out at your favorite karaoke bar singing this song and Hanson busts through the door and accuses you of singing it wrong, don't worry, because you've got a solid defense based on what you've just found here. And, and actually, maybe you'd be in luck, because in that Vulture interview, Hanson even suggested that taking a fresh approach might be the best way to cover the song. Right. Taylor said, quote, Someone needs to either make it totally their own in a genuinely unique way, or it needs to be a band that has a sensibility for old R&B. Well, I think we know what that means. Thanks for listening. Tuner is Brian Barone and me, John Lago-Marcino. This week's song, Mbop, was written and performed by Isaac, Taylor, and Zach Hansen. The 1997 version we all grew up with was produced by the Dust Brothers, John King and Michael Simpson. It was mixed by Tom Lord Algy and the Dust Brothers. Ted Jensen mastered the album Middle of Nowhere, on which Mbop appears. And a very, very special thanks to our friend John Fuller, who came up with this beautiful Mbop cover we're hearing right now. Uh, and he also got a little carried away and did a bunch more covers of Mbop, all of which are available at soundcloud.com slash tunershow. If you like the show, you can visit us at our website, tuner.show, and follow us on Twitter at tunershow. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you left a rating and review on iTunes. It goes a long way. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode. It's a short period of time, I think, we can we can say. Right. By implication. It's fleeting. I, I in believe, an yes. Yeah. It's a moment.
It's a kind of moment. Of I don't. <laughs> it's I, a, it's a moment with a specific length. Uh, is it or is it about like how it feels? Oh, so is it like a? Is it like a in a, in a flash? It's, it's like an affective duration. It's just <laughs> right. like you have this sense of how long it is. <laughs> Stupid. Like I don't. Yeah, maybe it's not about clock time, right? It's about like inner time. Right. Right. I suspect. I mean, just knowing, just knowing Hanson, you know. 